The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Father, we're your children sit now in front of you and ask you to feed us. You have done so much to save us and make us yours, and you've carried us for so long in so many different ways. We've seen in that your faithfulness to us, and so we now come and ask, show us still more. Teach us and refine us. Take this passage and use it to shape us. And I pray that what would come out of the other side of this, Lord, would be us as a people who not just in some way are more conformed to some principle that we saw written down in a book, that what would come out of the other side of this is a people who are more like you, who reflect you into the world more accurately, and in doing so, walk in joy and rest, walk with you at peace. That is a particular fruit that I want to ask you to build from this passage this morning, not just conformity to a principle, but, but a life that is at rest with you, under you, beneath your hand. I can't just speak that into existence, Spirit of God, you must make that happen, so please come now and inhabit this place and fill our hearts and teach us, shape us, make us Make us more like your son. Thank you, Lord. We trust this to you. Amen. He lives in a humble house. He comes from humble beginnings. That was a humbling experience. They made him eat humble pie. The word humble is a bad word in our vocabulary. The synonym, or at least euphemism, for adjectives like rundown, poor, weak, unimportant, failed, humiliating, shameful, worthless. Who wants to be humble? Who wants to be humbled? Anybody? Of course not. Oh, actually. Actually, we all do, or we all would if we understood the truth about humility and how it functions in our relationship to other people and in our relationship to with God. Humble pie is actually the sweetest, best dessert a Christian can ever feast upon because of what it brings to us when we take it in. Because of the benefit that it brings to us. It brings us the mighty grace of God caring for us. What's that? Anybody? That's what we're going to be considering this morning in 1 Peter chapter 5, topic of humility, being humble. Last week, or two weeks ago actually, in chapter 4, beginning of verse 12, we, we started to talk about this subject that camp in a couple different ways, 12, especially verse 17, this idea of God now at work, even right now, in judgment. 
God at work to judge the people of God, or if you prefer, God as a, a refining fire discipliner of the people of God. Right now, us first, working on us first. One day, yeah, for sure. Next, he's going to judge in a different way all those who do not trust Christ alone. But right now, what's going on now is he is judging, refining his own, the church, to burn away from us sin in us and to, in order to make us more like Christ. And then last week, that took us to discussing elders, what God aims for elders in his church to be like, how he'll work on to refine and shape those who are leaders in his flock. And that section ended with a brief statement, just one little sentence, the first sentence of verse 5, to others in the flock who are not elders, calling them to submit to the leadership. Now, in the middle of verse 5, in that same vein, we're continuing on thinking about this, this idea of God's refining purposes in his people. And as we look at verses 5 to 7, what we find here is the subject of humility, being humbled. As I said, hard to swallow for us sometimes. But it wouldn't be, shouldn't be, if and as we can kind of get our minds around what it is, how much of a blessing God brings to us in it, as he works to burn off from us the dross of human pride, leaving us humble beneath his hand and humble towards others, that that is so really, really deeply good for us. How it brings such good to us and us and how it honors God's name. So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. I'm going to read from the middle of verse 5 down through verse 7 and then draw three observations from the passage. 1 Peter 5, beginning in verse 5, middle of it. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. 1 Peter 5. Make three observations from this passage, and here's the first. We are to humble, to be humble towards others with our eyes on God. We are to be humble towards others with our eyes on God. Peter begins, begins by addressing everybody in the church, elders and non-elders alike, with a command, all of you, clothe yourselves in this way. So he's using this analogy of clothing because that's what we should put on. So when you look at us, that's what you would see in us personally, in us corporately. And literally, I think it helps maybe to translate this. We could say humility of mind which emphasizes that he's talking about an attitude here, a demeanor, something that's, that's inside of us that, that kind of shows a, a character trait, humility towards one another. The focus is particularly on relationships within the church. That's the one another there. So he's, he, he means that when you look at us, not just individually, when you look at us corporately, what you would see here in our midst is an interpersonal humility in me and in us. That's what would characterize us, that we'd have a flavor here. Of course, 
if that's who I am, if that's who we are, then when we step out into the world, we're going to interact with other people out there. We would also be humble towards others out in the world as well. But his particular focus is on the flavor of the congregation. People inside the church. And in saying that, don't forget your own family inside the church. If you have a spouse or parents or kids here in the church, I think sometimes we accidentally skip over commands that we come upon, instructions, kind of inadvertently like forgetting that he means even the person sitting right next to you. We kind of think about like them ones out there and in the other pews, but he means even the ones sitting right next to you, humble in mind, humble in heart towards that one too. In fact, that one especially. First. So this is the command. Clothe yourselves with humility, this attitude towards one another, including that one right there and that one and that one and that one, especially the people here in this room, in this congregation. Which means that your attitude would be one of putting on a concern for that other one's concerns. That other one's perspectives and desires and needs, that other one's welfare, that other one's good, above even your own. Not literally in importance. That other one is not factually more important than you. We all are just people alike. We're all on the same level here. But it's, it's the idea of considering the other one. Of in rank of focus, that one's above me. I'm more concerned about that one. That's what Paul taught, right? Philippians 2? That passage probably should come to mind pretty quickly when we think of the subject. In Philippians 2, Paul went at humility directly and said, count others more significant than yourselves. Count them as. They aren't more significant, but count them as. Consider them one click above. He continues, looking not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. You're going to look to your own interests. That's going to happen. But he's saying, consider them first. Put them one step above in consideration. Look to their interests, because that's the mind like Christ. It's the opposite of selfishness, the opposite of pride and conceit. That kind of person who is always thinking about how all of the world and all of the relationships and everything that happens is all about me, a person who acts entitled and demanding of his or her rights, is often pushy and judgmental and just kind of, frankly, difficult to deal with. The reason the person's pushy and demanding and difficult to deal with and always standing on their rights and demanding things is that they're proud. opposite of that is what he's talking about. So, do you find yourself there sometimes? The tricky thing about me asking that question is that it's, it's, it's pretty difficult to self-evaluate that because the person who is, who is really proud is going to say no. It, it's kind of one of those catch-22s. It's kind of hard to evaluate. And then it's also hard to evaluate because the words I just used in the description I just gave is, is kind of unattractive and ugly. And we don't naturally draw up close to being described as a person who thinks everything's about me. But we have to do a little bit of self-evaluation here. Are you pushy and demanding and a little bit hard to deal with? Maybe there's some pride there. 
and to help think through that, I've provided a, a sheet with two lists on it. You can pick it up on there's a table going to be out in the hallway on the way out. Pick it up as you go. Two lists of phrases. One side that describes humble, broken people, and the other side that describes proud, unbroken people. Little phrases and sentences. I didn't come up with this list. I came upon it about 20 years ago or so. But it's been helpful for me. I keep it on my bulletin board in my office. It's helpful for me to look at and kind of like check myself. And every time I do, every time I do, I discover I am a proud person. Every time I look at that sheet, I discover I'm a proud person. So really, what I meant when I said, are you sometimes there, is you're there. <laughs> and I provide a sheet to prove it to you. <laughs> we probably all know we, at times at least, are proud. And so here's the command. Christ-like humility towards others. It's what we individually and we corporately are supposed to be characterized. But once you understand that, you immediately need help obeying it because it's tough. And so Peter gives us help. A crucial, I think, attention-getting. In lots of ways, this passage has been big for me my whole Christian life. And this is one of their, their numerous phrases. I, sometimes I, I don't like to preach passages that are near and dear to me because I mess them up. But this is one of the places that I feel like I don't know that I can actually do justice to how influential this is with just a few human words. But Peter tells us something here that should kind of like get your attention and draw you in in a comforting, encouraging way. End of verse 5. Be humble towards one another, for because God, God himself, opposes the proud. That's the get your attention part. But on the other hand, God gives grace to the humble. That's the come here, inviting part, obviously. The Bible says this, quote, three times. It starts in the Old Testament, Proverbs 3. James quotes it in his letter. Peter puts it here. Christian, this is the truth. God himself does not just ignore or pass over or shake his head at and refuse to bless proud people proud Christians especially, because that's our context here. Not proud people out there. We're talking about proud Christians. God opposes them. If that doesn't get your attention, God actively, constantly, the grammar is right now, continually, God stands against them. Maybe we might say in this context, God lights and lets burn a refining fire against. 
We allow an attitude of pride or conceit to rest comfortably in our hearts, and so we behave selfishly and perhaps meanly or arrogantly towards one another, maybe the one sitting right next to you, maybe husband, your wife. And God himself rises to battle against you. Are you listening? In part, in this case, this example, in part to defend her cause, that of his beloved daughter, but in part saying, like a loving, disciplining father, oh, no, 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 that can't exist in my beloved son. That's not going to, nope, nope. Why? Why, why does God care? Why, why is God so, mm, on this, pride is objectionable to God, he opposes it. He commands this attitude of humility because at the bottom, pride is about the worship of self. The lifting up of self, the trusting in self, the law of God can be summarized very nicely by love God and love neighbor. And this says, neither of those love me. God can't let that stand in part because it robs God of honor, but also because it destroys, it ruins community and does death to our own souls. He will allow no rivals, and he won't let his people be hurt, and he loves you too much, too. As we're going to see here at the end, what, when, if pride is allowed to stand, if it's allowed to stay, it leads you to a, a tremendous amount of anxiety. It severs your, your intimacy with God. It cuts off joy. It ruins you. And so God to defend his own honor, God to defend his people, and God to defend you says, oh, no, 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 that's not going to stand, and rises to oppose the proud Christian. Three times the Bible says that because that's the truth. Be alert to that. But he gives grace to the humble. Be alert to that, too. The next several verses flesh out what God means by giving grace. We're going to talk more about that in the next couple verses. But just notice this at this moment here. As active as God is in opposing the proud, same setup, same grammar, just as active as God is in rising up to battle, he also now rises up to help, to give grace, to personally, regularly, continually come to the aid of the humble one who is turning to look for the needs and the concerns of others and is maybe feeling undone in that, like, like I'm emptying out myself, what am I going to do here? Maybe feeling threatened, maybe feeling vulnerable, maybe feeling like I don't have any defender, I'm not even defending myself, what's going to happen? God says, I got your back. I have you. We'll talk more about that in the coming verses. But just as active as he is in his opposition, he is that active in his support. It's God's way of encouraging you to give. I promise you, I will give to you grace. What might that look like? We'll come to it in a moment here. But pause there just for a second. Verse 5 and say, what of me? Just let God talk to you right now in this moment. Do so later. Also take that sheet in hand. Put it on your bulletin board, so to speak. Maybe literally, I, I, literally on my bulletin board. Maybe put it somewhere where you'll see it regularly and give, give room for yourself to consider it. But just give it a moment's thought right now. 
Is repentance in order? Change in order? And if so, recognize that it is nearly impossible to just decide to be humble. We need some help. He's already started to give us the help at the end of verse 5, but the next point, what God has to say for us next, further helps that. So here's the second observation. We are to be humble beneath God, certain of his deliverance. Humble beneath God, certain of his deliverance. Verse 6 is another command. Because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And verse 5, therefore, humble yourselves under, beneath the mighty hand of God. There's a, there's a slight interesting bit of different language here. That If the first command was about humility towards one another, this is, this is humble beneath. And I think there's an importance in those two words. I am to consider someone else a click above me, but really we are equals, human to human. But human to God, we are not equals. Beneath is my spot, your spot. And he's trying to make that clear here, I think. And this is, again, another reason I find this passage so helpful. The close connection between five and six you really can and should say, I can do verse 5 because of verse 6. Verse 6 is how verse 5. They're linked so closely. You can't ever just try to take verse 5, try to take command and go with it just as it is there. I will, I will be humble in regards to other people that won't work because your own self, yourself, is far too stubborn and strong to allow you to ignore it for very long. Self-denial, just saying like, I will put others above me, I will consider their needs before my own, I will just do that. Self-denial is a philosophy that's doomed to fail, or at best doomed to strain very hard at keeping up appearances as you smile and speak softly and act kindly while raging on the inside and often seeking some sort of secret outlet of self-indulgence because you've got to satisfy self somewhere. I'm acting like I'm giving myself away out here, but inside, and then it blows. Self is concerned, dramatically and deeply concerned with itself and its own welfare. And so you cannot fight self by just saying aloud, no. Care for others. You can't do that. Ironically, you have to fight self with a yes. By hearing the promise first at the end of verse 5, I will oppose you in your pride, yeah, but I will give you grace and humility. You hear that promise and you say yes to it. Yes, Lord, I believe, I believe you, and I believe that my instinctive way of looking out for number one, me, is detrimental and destructive, is like a lunatic. I go to war with you. I believe that. 
and I believe your promise of grace to me. And so I'm going to step forward and say, I yield to you, God, not to the other people. I put myself beneath you in faith, not in denial. See the difference? That's what I mean by the yes and the no. In faith, not in denial. I put myself beneath, I humble myself beneath the hand of God in faith believing, looking back at verse 5, grace will come to me from him. I want that. I believe that, yes. I humble myself beneath him, beneath his mighty hand, it says. I believe that you are strong enough. I don't see how exactly. I don't see the ways that you will give me grace, but I believe that you will. In due time, lift me out of the mire, out of the pain and the loss, out of the grave even. He promises that. And so the call, the offer, Christian, is hear the promise and say yes to it in faith. Put yourself beneath his mighty hand. Don't try to stand against it. This is, I think, the sweetest of all attitudes. The demeanor of dependence. I sometimes talk, especially with guys who kind of uh, feel a little bit like it's like rubbing the, rubbing the fur the wrong way. Like, it feels kind of feminine. Like you're talking about like dependence and, and like letting go of what to me feels like I'm supposed to step into life in vigor. And I don't know, it just feels off. I get that. I think if, if you're a guy or maybe if you're a gal, either way, resonating with that, feeling like, I don't know about that, that feels something's wrong, I, I want to suggest that maybe you've got a little bit of, of worldly humility that is craven, that's kiss-up in it, that's weakness. It's, it's not at all weak or backwards or whatnot, to, to find yourself in a military context in a combat zone with, a, with an officer who is a stud to say, I'm right behind you, Captain. Let's go get him. I'm right behind you, Captain. There's nothing craven about that. There's not, nothing that's kiss up about that. nothing weak about that. That's, that's mighty. That's strong. That's proper in its rank. That's what this is talking about. And when it's there, you see the aye, aye, sir, is beautiful and right and strong. Sweet. Those are not wrong words for men to say. Dependence is a good thing when the one you're depending on is God, is, is properly ordered here. 
I think, in fact, that when that oozes, when, that, when that's filling us and it oozes out of us, we all, men and women alike, we all say, like, that's something really good there. Something that is, that is some strength that is under proper authority and that is therefore loosed in life, dependent, not proud. Surrendered to God's will, internally yielded to it, willing to receive instructions from God. Surrender to his providential decision of this is the way it's going to go, child. Aye, aye, sir. That's beautiful and right and good. To accept what he says, when he says it, how long he says it will be, all determined by him, coming from his sovereign hand, the person that is humble beneath that, who says, Lord, your will be done in my life on earth as it is in heaven, is a mighty Christian and sweet in demeanor and beautiful to interact with, someone we all want to be. Because that's like Jesus, and we all want to be Jesus. Not because you're supposed to, but because Jesus was a stud. That's right for us. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. Surrendered beneath your mighty hand in all the situations that we encounter, the hard ones as well as the good Situations where we face an opportunity to serve others, I'm not sure where we're going to get the resources. Situations where we face a government mandate we find distasteful, yet is not sinful. Yes, I said that. Check your pride on that. I found that distasteful also, but it was not sinful. All that God has brought to us for a hundred reasons, surely. But one of them is always the raising of the question, who's in charge of you? God is, is a beautiful answer. Not just to own officially, but to live out and to embrace. Humble yourselves then, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Saying yes, not, not saying no, to, not, not self-denial, it's saying yes to I believe your grace comes and I believe a part of that grace is that at the proper time you will exalt me. Yes, he will. Yes, he will. At the proper time. Which might not be right now. I don't know. At the proper time, he will exalt. I don't know when that's going to be. I think in the context of this letter, we probably need to think about that might come after death. Because there's a lot in this letter that points us towards the treasure kept in heaven. That faces the reality of a world that disagrees and says, things aren't going to go well here, but the treasure is in heaven. It just might be that Peter's main emphasis is at the proper time means I'm going to bring you out of the grave. I will. But maybe the proper time is right now, this afternoon or tomorrow. I, I don't know. But when challenges come at us that are tough to face, we don't just say, 
I'm going to deny myself. We say, I'm going to actually believe God. I'm going to say yes to him and to his promises, that he gives me grace, that his hand is mighty, that he is for me, and that he delivers. Say yes to that. That's the only way to put down the flesh, the self in us, a positive looking to him and a trusting of his deliverance. That's the key to humility in the church, in fact, a gigantic vision of a mighty God. A God who gives grace. And I think that vision is further fed by the final point. Which, again, I, I thought for a little while, like maybe this should be a separate sermon, verse 7, because it is so awesome and so relevant to our current world. So here's the last point. Humbling oneself beneath God is made real by putting your concerns in his hands. This may seem a bit obvious, but I'll work on a little bit and maybe something's not quite obvious. Humbling oneself beneath God is made real by putting your concerns in his hands. We come to verse 7 and we keep reading and noticing how all this builds verse by verse. And depending on which English translation you're reading, you might have verse 7 printed as a separate sentence. And as if it's a third command to us. It's not actually a separate sentence and a third command. It's a part of verse 6. Further clarifying the command there. The setup here is as if I were to say something like, trust me, there's the command, and the participle, giving me a key to your house. That's the structure here in 6 and 7, command and participle. Trust me, giving me a key to your house. I, I do want you to give me a key to your house, so there's, there's an implied something you're supposed to do there, but it's not a separate command, it's related to the first one. It's actually how you would show the first one. It's how you'd live it out how you'd make that real. So humbling ourselves beneath God is made real by putting your concerns in his hand. It's how we live out this Godward humility and make it real. You throw your concerns onto God who's best equipped to carry them and promises to do so. This is a big part of what makes humility so sweet it's the path to burden-free living. Get that. This is the path to burden-free living. This humility. Humility beneath God. Not humility just towards one another, but humility beneath God is what we're talking about here. The language here in verse 7 is an allusion to a statement in Psalm 55 where we are told to cast our burdens on the Lord burdens, anxieties, concerns, the things we're worried about, about what might happen to us. And there's a lot of stuff to worry about, stuff that might happen to us. Very, very often we are very, very concerned. We look around and we see the world that we live in and we think, wow, appropriately so. <laughs> appropriately so. 
stuff comes at us, stuff passes us by, and at different times we realize, I am pretty vulnerable here. And I don't know exactly how to cover all of that. When you do know how to cover all that, you're not anxious about it. You think, I got that taken care of. Or when you think there might perhaps be a way to cover it, then you get a little bit worried. But when you feel like, whoa, anxiety sets in. The feeling of anxiety. Something's going to come at me and I'm not going to be able to handle or leave from me that I won't be able to hold on to. And I look and I need someone to champion me, someone to advocate for me, to defend me, to provide for me, to watch out for me, to seize the opportunity or to keep the, the circumstance at bay, something like that. If you think about all of this world and all that's in it realistically and accurately, you're going to come upon lots of situations like that. And one of our problems is that we are relatively competent, relatively educated, relatively wealthy, relatively healthy people in a relatively healthy, wealthy, competent context. Pride gets fed from that all the time. But I think right now there's something going on in our world. I don't know this, but I read stuff that says, I don't know how one would survey this, that anxiety is skyrocketing. I read this. It's certainly prevalent in a lot of people I know. Certainly prevalent in a lot of teens, a lot of young people. Anxiety is out there. Fear, concern, and worry. It, we have lots of renewed awareness of everything that's going on in the world, lots of vulnerabilities that we feel. And here's the thing that is perhaps going on in your life and perhaps going on in our world in general. Some subtle thing coming under there saying, we weren't as competent, strong, mighty, and wise as we thought we were. We are more vulnerable than we realized. And I think a number of people are saying, uh-oh. And the world's message is, let's get back to competence. Let's reclaim. Let's grab hold of it again and get it back under our control, says the proud person, says the world. That's never going to work. It's never going to work. Because eventually all of us are going to look at the grave and realize there's nothing I can do about that one. The doctors finally told me so. We all know we're all going to die, but we all also don't think we're going to die. Until you reach some point when the doctors finally tell you there's nothing more we can do about this. And you're like, what? Are you serious? Yeah. Serious. We're all going to face this. Let's get it back under control thing. Ultimately, that does not work. And we're living in a sense of denial if we try to pretend that it will. There's a gotta be, there has got to be another way to deal with our concerns and our worries. That one is the big one at the end. But all of life, if you're looking around and paying attention, all of life all along is full of numerous concerns and burdens and anxieties and worries. What are you going to do about that? 
And God says right here, let me tell you what to do about that. Let me tell you what to do about that in a way that is life-giving to you. Hang that backpack on my shoulders. A few weeks back, I went hunting with a, a friend of mine and who was a lot younger and a lot more in shape than me, and I'm climbing up this hill, carrying various things, huffing and puffing, trailing behind him, and he said, hey, you want me to carry that for you? What do you think I said? <laughs> Heck no. <laughs> I want to give up my burdens. Clearly you're doing better at this than I am. I don't want to give up my burdens because that would be humiliating, humbling. And, okay, that's fine. On that human level, and I made it through, obviously. On that human level, that's fine. We don't like to give up our burdens because of, one word answer, it starts with P, pride. And human to human, okay, but God says, Humble yourself beneath my mighty hand. I'll carry the backpack. I'll carry all of the burdens. I'll carry the anxieties. I'll carry the concerns. In fact, I'm going to give you a command. Cast them on me. Psalm 55. I'm going to repeat that through Peter. Cast them on me. That's what it means to be humble beneath my mighty hand. And my hand is mighty. It's a command to give you good And we often want to say, oh, no, I got it, I got it, I got it. And the anxiety that's racking the world says, no, you don't, no, you don't, no, you don't. Try, you don't. Casting your anxieties on him, throwing them onto him, that's what it means to be humbled like he's meaning you to be humbled. Humble yourselves therefore into the mighty hand of God is not a theological category you are to affirm. It is an action you are to do. And you especially do it by saying, here's the stuff that I'm concerned about, Lord. I believe you will carry it better than me. Yes. Here. That's an attitude of surrendered yielding. Beneath his hand, cast all the stuff you worry about into his mighty hand, strapping the backpack of burden onto his shoulders because he cares for you. End of the verse. Which is, I'm not sure which phrase here I like best. That's, that's another candidate. Every one of these phrases is a, why I love this passage. Because he cares for you. What a place to end. Because he cares for you. Not just because there's like this, who's going to be in charge? Who's going to be supreme? I'm going to put down your pride so that I can be on top. Not because he cares for you. Not only is God mighty, not only is he wise to interpret the proper time to deliver us, not only is he a promise maker and keeper, faithful and able to be trusted. Behind all of this, God loves you, Christian, with a wide, long, high, deep love that is amazing because it shouldn't be. From the very beginning, we've been proud sinners, and he says, I want you anyway. 
His eye is on you. If you're a Christian, you can read back through this book and you can see these phrases and say, that's me, beginning at the very beginning. I'm one of his elect, his chosen race, chosen as his precious possession. These are phrases from this book. Every Christian, and become a Christian, and you can own all these phrases for yourself. Become a Christian and say, that's me, the Christian. That is you right now. His eye is on me. I'm one of his. It's mysterious. I don't know why he would want me. I do not know why, but he did, and he claimed me. This is the best of all reasons to place yourself humbly beneath his hand and trust his mysterious will and timing because it is only by his hand and his mysterious will and timing that you're a Christian in the first place. He loves you with wide and long and high and deep love. God sees you, sent Christ to save you, sent his spirit to awaken you and claim you and fill you and hold you because his heart is great for you. You were a sinner perishing and in love he sought you and saved you and sent his son humble to the cross. Jesus came humble and submitted himself beneath God's mighty hand and was lifted up at proper time exalted so that you could experience likewise. It's the love of God for you, Christian. This is the end of all your anxieties. If you see it and believe it and say yes to it, this is the end of all your anxieties. This is the burden-free life, the definitive answer to your fears and concerns. The omnipotent one loves you, cares for you in Christ. That is all you need to know. In a very real sense, that is all you need to know. Rest happy and humble beneath him. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.